It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. You're listening to the Eagles Pod with Jimmy Kemsky and Tommy Lawler right here on LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome to Eagles Pod. This is Jimmy Kemsky from PhillyVoice.com. With me, as always, is Tommy Lawler from EaglesBlitz.com. How are you doing, Tommy? Doing well, Jimmy. How are you tonight? I'm good. Yeah, actually, the uh, East-West Shrine game week of practices got underway this week, and it's gotten a lot more attention than, <laughs> than really I thought it might. The Shrine game is you know, sort of the lesser of the two uh, college you know, all-star type games with you know, the Senior Bowl, of course, being the top one. Um, yeah, the guys that you're getting from the, 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 the Shrine game are at best going to be like fourth, fifth round picks. It used to be a, a much more important Maybe, maybe important is the wrong word to use, but much, much there, there's better prospects that, that played at that game. Uh, well, not so much anymore. Be, it, but. Used be, it used to be the game years ago when it was out in, uh, and they played it at Stanford at Palo Alto. And I mean, that's the game where John Elway played. And uh, it was the game. And then over time, the senior bowl has, has uh, you know, came into prominence and they split players for a while. And now there's just no question. The Senior Bowl is on one level because that's where you're going to find actual first-round talent. And the Shrine game, every three or four years, will produce a second-round player. And it's like, wow, that's a huge deal. But normally, fourth, fifth, sixth, and plenty of UDFAs. Yeah, and there used to be there used to be bowl games like the uh, the blue the blue gray bowl and um, just to be technical, it was just the blue gray game. Blue gray game. Excuse me. <laughs> we, have the, we have we have the Shrine Game. We, have, we used to have the Hula Bowl. So we had the, the, the Hula Bowl and the Senior Bowl, and then it was the uh, Blue Gray Game and then the Shrine Game. And there have been a variety of other smaller ones that we won't bore you with the details. But uh, yeah, it's uh, the big two these days are well the yeah the big two are, are, are the, the uh, Senior Bowl and the Shrine Game. Yeah. So what we'll do on the show today is because I mean, people have been paying a lot of, not maybe not a lot of attention but it's gotten a lot more attention than i maybe thought it might and next week the the senior bowl week of practices will begin i'll be there tommy will be there too and um you know people are starting to really get interested in prospects that might make sense for the eagles but so we figured tonight we'll just kind of go through not necessarily prospects that, that'll make sense for the eagles we'll get into that eventually but more so the their you know their team needs we'll, we'll go through position by position you know, the team needs and you know from top to bottom but before we do that, real quick, I actually have a couple of stories about a the Shrine Game and b the blue the blue gray game. Um, I was at the I was, which one should I start with? <laughs> well, yeah, I think the the, uh, the Shrine Game is a good story. The blue gray is a classic. So tell the Shrine Game story first, and then we'll go All to right. blue gray. So the Shrine Game I go to two years ago, and that of course was around the time when the Eagles were still looking for their head coach. And it was actually during the Shrine game week of practice that the Eagles hired 
Chip Kelly. And it's in the Tampa area. It's super nice every day there. It's like 81 degrees, sunny, like perfect weather. So after one of the practices, two prominent media people, like insider types, were on the sideline and and they're doing – they're shooting video of – of just whatever. And I know these two guys, so I'm just kind of hanging out, waiting until they're done to see if like we're going to get lunch afterwards. So I'm standing there and they're doing their video hit and they wrap it up by saying, so in, in case again, you, you missed it somehow, the Eagles once again have hired Gus Bradley to be their new head coach. So I'm like, the hell, what did that happen? <laughs> but I'm, a pra- I'm watching practice all day at, at this event. And for, for whatever reason, I just figured I missed it now, at the time. I wasn't working for Philly.com or PhillyVoice.com or anything like that. I just had my own my own little website, Blogging the Beast, which covered the NFC East teams. And I had followers on Twitter that were Cowboys, Redskins, Giants fans, in addition to the Eagles fans. So whenever I was just super late on any kind of big news like that, you know, some of the other fans that don't follow the Eagles closely may not have seen it. So I'll just I would just put out there, you know, just in case you missed it, I'm way late on this. But, you know, Gus Bradley was hired as the new head coach. So I, I Put that out on Twitter. <laughs> and at the time, I had like 10% of the Twitter followers that I have now. So it was really out of the ordinary for me to be getting like dozens of retweets in like, you know, every 10 to 15 seconds. <laughs> so like, oh, yeah. it's, getting, yeah. it's, getting, it's getting retweeted like crazy. And people are like replying like, by late on this, do you mean breaking? So I know <laughs> something. So... <laughs> So I know something's wrong. So these guys are done shooting their video. Like only like a minute had gone by after I put this tweet out, and I, I go, "Yeah, what the hell? What are you guys talking about? Like <laughs> the, the, the Eagles really hired Gus Bradley?" And they're like, "Oh no, you didn't just put that out on Twitter, did you?" And I was like, "Yeah." And they're like, "No, we're just recording stuff that might happen, like so that it's ready to go in case, you know, if and when it does." It was almost like the uh, Saturday Saturday Night Live skit with Dana Carvey, where he's pretending to be uh, Tom Brokaw, and Tom Brokaw's like going through all these different scenarios in which Gerald Ford dies, or like. Gerald Ford died today when Richard Nixon crawled out of his grave and stabbed him to death. <laughs> like and they're just going through all these scenarios that might happen with Gerald Ford dying. And it was the exact same thing. They're just they're just recording all these different scenarios of how the Eagles head coaching search could go. I overhear it, put it out on Twitter. Extremely, extremely embarrassing journalistic moment for me. That that is a, a classic Kimsky story of breaking listen, that's the best fiction you've ever broken. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And those guys and a, and a number of other people that were there at the Shrine game, like they still just hammer me on that to this day. Like I, They make fun of me whenever they see me in person. Like to this day, they, they make fun of when I put that on Twitter. <laughs> now, the East West. I'm sorry. The uh, the Blue Gray game was a game that how long has that been gone? Uh, well, it, it, it ran continuously like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, up through the late 90s. And then it stopped early 2000s. It came back for a year or two, and then it's been gone for, I don't know, about a decade now. Got it. Yeah, and the so thing that the, the, the way it used to happen, the Blue-Gray game featured a lot of 1AA players, and it was a it was a showcase for players whose colleges weren't in bowl games. So more than likely you are going to play for a team that wasn't that good that year. So you'd go there, and if you played well, you'd get the attention of the scouts, and then you might get an invitation to the Senior Bowl, which the the best player I saw ever at the Blue-Gray game was Jason Taylor, who came Mm -hmm. from Akron, and sure enough, was so dominant at the Blue-Gray game, he got an invitation to the Senior Bowl, and the rest is history. Was he a two two or a three? Third-round pick. Third, okay. Yeah, so anyway, I'm 37. So I guess at the time I was like 10, 11, something like that, Um, and I was an altar boy. And the the <laughs> the blue gray game they played that on Christmas every year if I recall correctly. So can we can we go back to the part about you being the altar boy because <laughs> this already sounds like fiction. I was a good person once upon a time. Yeah, that may have okay. changed over the years, but once upon a time I was okay. I was an altar boy, good kid. So I guess I had the mass that, that I was on the schedule for that week was like some ungodly hour, like 7.30 a.m. And my family was like, no way we're going to that. No way we're all going to the 7.30 a.m. mass. So my mom took me to church. I did my little altar boy thing. 
came home, and then the rest of the family went to church at like noon. Um, so you know, we'd open up all the open up all the presents. Family goes off to church at noon, and I'm home alone in my house. And uh, I figure, you know what? It's Christmas. Let's uh, let's get a fire going in the fireplace for when they get home. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be nice and scenic, you know, like. It'll set the mood. Everybody, yeah, it'll just be good. It's Christmas. There should be a fire in the fireplace. So, you know, I, I, I get the fire going and, and you know, it looks great, except the entire living room is just completely filling up with smoke. I had no idea what a flu was. You got to open up the flu so that all the smoke can escape through the chimney as opposed to just filling up the entire house with, with you know, smoke that can basically kill you. So <laughs> my family gets home from church at one o'clock or one thirty or whatever. And they, the first thing they see is just the entire house is, is full of smoke and genius 10, 11, 12 year old little Jimmy Kemsky at the time, instead of just putting the fire out or some other measure, knowing that like something was clearly not right and the house should not be filling up with smoke. It was my bright idea. My family walked into the living room and there is again, little 10 year old Jimmy Kemsky, sitting on the sofa, watching the blue-gray game with swimming goggles on. <laughs> yeah, so that was my solution. Wear swimming goggles uh, because the smoke was bothering my eyes. No, never mind the inability to breathe. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that is uh, that is classic Kemsky. You've been a troublemaker for many years, my friend. Well, yeah, they were, they were like – it was a situation where they, they were like – my parents were like yelling at me and then it – turned into, you know, me being made fun of over the next 25 years for wearing, <laughs> sitting on the, for just sitting on the sofa wearing goggles, watching the, <laughs> watching you're trying, you're trying to scout, that's right, trying that's, to scout some players, you know what, I think that shows my commitment to, to football, the casual fans gonna go, you know, listen, it's too smoky, I turn the TV off, you're like, heck no, <laughs> no way, goggles Ab- go on, Kempsey's gotta know. Absolutely. That's that's absolutely correct. Shows my commitment. All right. So let's get to the team needs. And actually, before we get to like the the top team needs for the Eagles, let's. I mean, quarterback isn't necessarily the top team need for the Eagles, but it's certainly the most important position by far. And the one that you kind of have to have figured out or you're basically not going to be a Super Bowl contender, either have a quarterback or you don't. And if you don't, you better have a historic kind of defense like the 2000 Ravens or the 2003 Buccaneers or, you know, you're really not going to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. So obviously they have Nick Foles under contract, um, his rookie contract. It'll be his final year, 2015. Uh, Mark Sanchez is, of course, a free agent. Matt Barkley has maybe, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but in my view, he's kind of become somewhat of an afterthought at this point. So... What do they do? I mean, you're not you're not going to find any free agents in. Uh, you're never going to find a quarterback free agent that's going to start for you. It just doesn't happen anymore. Um, there are some trade options, maybe with RG three. Jay Cutler seems like a, a player that nobody's going to want to take his contract. And then you have the draft. Um, I guess as a starting point, what do you think basically of Nick Foles and? You know, kind of where, in your well, view, where, where does where does he sort of stand? Well, before we get into Foles, I wrote about this on Eagles West today. Let's take a look. The four teams left in, in the in the league right now. You got Seattle, Green Bay, uh, New England, Indianapolis. And all so you franchise got, quarterbacks, yes. Yeah, Luck, Brady, Rodgers, and Wilson. Exactly. All franchise quarterbacks. Now, that said, only Russell, uh, excuse me, only uh, Andrew Luck was the number one overall pick and a guy that's a surefire, can't miss – a great player. You know, Russell Wilson was a third round pick. And like I wrote about, you know, the guy was at North Carolina state, the coach gave him an ultimatum to quit playing baseball and stick to football or to go elsewhere. So he left to go to Wisconsin. So, you know, this is not a guy that the, the, the coach at NC state thought was a, a player that he just couldn't pass up. He was willing to let him go because he was willing to, he had Mike Glennon. He was willing to let Mike Glennon take over the program. Tom Brady, when he was at Michigan, was a guy that they kept trying to replace with Drew Henson, and who was a, a phenom athlete, a great high school player in baseball and football. The Michigan thought was going to be their their version of John Elway, and then Brady lasted to the sixth round, was pick one hundred ninety nine. 
he sat for a year and then he got on the field only when uh, Drew Bledsoe got hurt. Wait, are you and saying that Tom Brady was a late round pick? Have you not heard that? I've never heard that mentioned. And then Aaron Rodgers, you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't get any decent offers coming out of high school. So he goes junior college. He goes and plays at Cal for a couple of years. And then he's the uh, 24th overall pick in the 2005 draft. Sits on the bench for three years. And so the whole point of this is I sometimes think we assume that in order to know that you've got a franchise quarterback, he's got to come in the top five, top ten. He's got to have this great pedigree. There's no question marks about him. And you'll know instantly. And that's not the case. You know, again, with Russell Wilson, Seattle knew they liked him, but they waited to the third round to draft the guy. You know, that tells you that they obviously weren't sold that he is going to be the franchise player. They liked him, but they were willing to wait on him to that point. Tom Brady, well, clearly, you know, that's a lottery ticket when you get that guy in the sixth round. And uh, you know, even Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he sat on the bench for three years. You know, it's, I think he was like a three-star recruit even even after he was a Juco before uh, when, when – when he went to California, I think it was only his three-star recruit. So even even after he went to JUCO, he still wasn't highly, he still wasn't you know all that highly regarded. Oh no, exactly. Yeah, he wasn't a guy again. It's so you know, the whole point of this is when we look at this draft, there's nobody that you sit there and you say, "I've got to have that guy's the answer." When you look at Nick Foles, you don't say that guy's the answer, or Matt Barkley, that guy's the answer. But they could be, and that even applies to Barkley. Now, obviously, you're there. It's a, a that's an extreme case because he's just shown us so little so to this point. But the point is that with these players who now are, you know, these terrific players, they weren't always these terrific players with the exception of Andrew Luck. There'd just been no questions about him probably since seventh grade. The other guys, you know, we all knew were good players in, in some way, shape or form, but we didn't think, you know, nobody thought Tom Brady was going to be a hall of fame quarterback until he won the third Super Bowl. You know, nobody thought that, uh, uh, Andrew, or excuse me, Aaron Rodgers was going to be the player that he is when he lasted the pick, 24th pick in the draft. And then if they liked him, you know, they could have traded to Green Bay to get him. You know, somebody could have put together a huge package when Green Bay still had Brett Favre. People were like, yeah, you know, let him go. And then when he took over for Brett Favre, there was a lot of questions. Hey, can this guy get the job done? Or if he's so good, why do he sit on the bench for three years? So the whole point of this is Nick Foles could still be the answer for the Eagles. Matt Barkley very distantly could still be the answer for the Eagles, or it could be that a guy like Ricky Hundley or Bryce Petty or whoever, but I do believe that the Eagles really, it's it's crucial to, I think Kelly, this is an important year to me for Kelly because if he comes out of this still not knowing what he wants to do at quarterback and not having his guy, I don't know, year three is where you really start to see a lot of coaches make that take that next step forward. And if he doesn't do that because he doesn't have his quarterback, I don't know. That's that's just sort of an awkward um, – puts an awkward uh, feel to the timetable of him trying to build a championship team. Yeah, they're kind of in purgatory if, if Nick Fol- – if you know they don't bring somebody in um, during the, – they almost kind of have to bring somebody in, by the way, because, again, Sanchez is a free agent. And then right. you have Barkley who, again, in my opinion – and opinions may differ here, but in my opinion, he's kind of an afterthought at this point. So you almost kind of have to bring in a quarterback, whether it's a veteran free agent or you, or you draft a guy to sort of groom. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to have to bring somebody in. It's just a matter of if Nick Foles goes into um, year three under Chip Kelly, you're far, you're four on, you know, in the league. And he has the kind of season in 2015 that he had in 2014, then you probably don't have a franchise quarterback there. And again, you're kind of just in purgatory there. You're almost kind of like an offensive version of the Rams where the Rams have built up this great defense. They built up this great defense and their offenses. Yeah. I mean, they have some pieces here and there, some, some nice skill guys, but they don't have a quarterback. And if you don't have a quarterback, again, you don't have a chance. And the Eagles are the opposite of that. They have, a really good offense with good skill players, good, although aging offensive line and a defense that isn't all that great. But they, they, at that point, they won't have a quarterback. So they're just in a situation where until they get that quarterback, which, as we know, is extremely difficult to do, then they're not going to go anywhere. And they'll win enough games where they'll never be able to sort of get, you know, obvious, an obvious type of um, elite quarterback prospect like an Andrew Luck or, or whoever else. So they'll be sitting here at 20 during the draft. Um, well, I think we kind of have to bring him up because, you know, he's 
like every third article about the Eagles lately <laughs> is about him. We're talking, about, of course, about Marcus Mariota. What, what do you see of him as? I mean, a lot of people are saying like he could slide. Do you have any strong opinions about him as a player and how he'll translate to the NFL? Or do you really just have any comment at all about Mariota and 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 his likelihood to? Well, here's the thing. Uh, he's better than some people think and probably not as good as others. He is not in the same class as an Andrew Luck, who when you watched him, you said he gets a check in every box. Right. Because, uh, let's face it, when you play in the offense that he did, there's a lot of games where they're just blowing people out of the water, and what you're seeing in that game doesn't tell you whether the guy can play in the NFL. Because the system at sometimes the combination of system and talent overwhelmed a lot of opponents. And so you sit there and you're like, I know he, he can destroy Washington State, but what does that really tell me? Right. Not, not that much. And so that's where you, you, you focus on a handful of games uh, going against Stanford, uh, you know, uh, the, the obviously the, the last couple of games here going against Florida State, the championship game. You try to focus on them. And, and the guy is definitely, he's going to be a first-round pick. He should, I'd be shocked if he's not a top-ten pick. He's got pretty good size. He's got a pretty good arm. He's a terrific athlete. He seems like a solid leader. You know, there's no character questions that I've ever heard of. And, uh, well, everyone says he's the the best guy since, um, you know, Sliced Bread, who was a tremendous guy. Right. Sliced Bread was a a great first round pick for the Eagles. Yes, he was. And, uh, so Mario, I think he can be a good starting NFL quarterback. That said, there's no such thing as a slam dunk. And somebody on Twitter the other day made a comparison of him to Ryan Tannehill. And I thought that's not bad because Tannehill coming out of Texas A&M was a guy that had size, athletic ability, and all this stuff, but still, you just didn't know can he be a consistently good pocket passer. With Tannehill, it's because a lot of his career he played wide receiver well, yeah, yeah. and just switched to, to quarterback there like late in his junior year, I guess it was. And so with Mariota, and, 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 and Tannehill played a little bit more of a conventional system, but not much more. And uh, so, again, it's the same type thing with Mariota, although he's got three years of playing in this offense, tons of experience, but... You look at him, and it's like, I guess you could compare him to Tannehill and Colin Kaepernick, some combination of those two, a guy with size and athletic ability, an arm, good character, you know, but can he consistently uh, play from the pocket? And uh, I've read the stat, and I've not done the research myself, but I've read the stat that more than 50% of his passing attempts come from the play action. And Mm. that's great in college, but you're not going to do that in the NFL. And the whole point, again, is, when it's third and seven, you can't play fake. You, there's going to be some plays where you're going to have to be able to, to drop back, plant your foot, read the defense, find the open guy, and make an accurate on-time throw to the right guy and move the chains in a standard-type format. You can't count on faking to the running back, having the linebackers bite up and having somebody wide open at the, that next level. So there, there are questions with Mariota, but to me, I put together a list of about six or seven teams today and to me, the, the two that jumped out were uh, going to be uh, St. Louis is one of them because yeah. it just feels like this is a Jeff Fisher kid. I mean, Jeff Fisher drafted, you know, Vince Young, Vince Young and this guy's a not as good of a college player, but as a as a better pro prospect than Vince Young. Right. He's got he's got the athletic ability, but he's an even better pocket passer. And you don't have the off field immaturity that Vince Young did. Yeah. You know that Marcus Mariota is not going to go to TGF Fridays and spend ten thousand dollars. He's going to go to a nice restaurant and spend ten thousand dollars. So uh, that's a bad joke, by the way. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, you, you have heard the stories about Vince Young going to. Yeah. yeah, yeah he, yep, okay. Yep. Just want to yeah. make sure. So uh, to me, I don't see how he gets past St. Louis at ten. I really, I just cannot mentally grasp the concept that Jeff Fisher would go. I'm sticking with Sam Bradford. I don't want that guy. And there's a handful of other teams inside the top ten. I think again, if somehow he does get past him, there's Again, still other teams beyond that who can say, I just don't see a likely possibility of him getting to 20. And I think the problem is people say, well, make a package if somebody can't say no to. Well, the point is, if you're St. Louis, it doesn't do you good to get three first-round picks to give up Mario. At some point, you need a quarterback. Right, right. And so these teams, at some, so you can make somebody a great offer, but at some point they're going to go, I don't want your picks. I don't want your players. I want the quarterback because – 
again, look who the Final Four teams are. You've got to get a quarterback. And Mariota, I think, can be a guy who can lead teams to the playoffs. Can he lead you to a championship? I have no idea. That's that's crystal ball material. But I think this is a guy you can build your team around because, again, of the combination of good passing skills, good athleticism, good character. So I'd love to see him in Philadelphia, but, man, I, I just don't see it happening. What's the other team? I mean, you said there are two two teams that would that that kind of jump out at you. Well, let me guess. Um, Jets, absolutely, exactly. Oh, okay. Because there, what you do is you've already got a good defense, and again, you're bringing in somebody who's got some mobility. Uh, there was talk that they were going to hire Chan Gailey as their offensive coordinator. I don't know if they've done that or not. Gailey has done well with mobile quarterbacks in the past or at least had some success with them. So uh, to me, that's just, it would be a natural fit. And hey, listen, let him and Geno Smith battle it out. You've already invested a high pick in Smith. And if Mariota's a bust and Smith turns out to be the guy, so be it. And if, if Mariota's the guy, then Geno Smith's your backup. And in a couple of years, you lose him to free agency. But you know what? Like Chip Kelly says, it takes multiple quarterbacks these days. So to me, I think the Jets would be a team that would absolutely make sense for him. Nobody's going to care if Geno Smith was a high pick, though, because the people that made that pick are gone anyway. Exactly, exactly. And to me, if you've watched the Jets, you know, they, that offense needs something. They, they need more than something. They need, they need a lot. They need a lot. Now, let, let me ask you this. All right. Yeah. If, if you're looking at the Eagles, do you aggressively try to, to get a quarterback? See, I, I don't even know how to phrase this because – I can't imagine Chip Kelly having any interest in Jameis Winston. I just can't see that because of the character questions. Yeah. Um, would you rather spend, let, let's say the Eagles set a pick 20 and, and have a chance of drafting Hunley, the kid from UCLA. Okay. I'm going to keep butchering his name. But I'm going to probably call him Ricky and Nick. <laughs> you, you called him Ricky earlier. <laughs> okay. I'm, it's, I'm gonna, it's, it's Brett. I'm going to call him about 50 things because there's been a lot of, the, the a lot of Hunley out there. The Orioles just had a catcher named Nick Hunley, so I'm going to call him that for that. There used to be a player in Oklahoma named Ricky Hunley, so he's going to get called a lot of things. Just bear with me, but Brett had, Hunley. The, then there was the, the Hunley from the uh, Mets that had the yips. He uh, he was a catcher, and he couldn't – or maybe I'm mistaking him with somebody else. But he, he played some sort of position, either infield or catcher, and he couldn't throw the ball, like, back to the pitcher. He just – he so, couldn't like, – Mentally, he couldn't do it, so they stuck him out in the outfield, and he was terrible out there. Like he'd make a routine catch, and the the entire stadium would cheer like sarcastically, like tip his cat. He would tip his cat to the crowd, like after right. making like a routine catch, which was uh, kind of funny. But yeah, a lot of Hundleys out there. So let's just go with the the Hundley kid from UCLA. Would you rather take a flyer on him at twenty? Because there's no way that kid's gonna last in the second round. I don't think. No, no chance. So do you, do you take a flyer on him at twenty, or do you stick with Foles? And say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a chance that Nick Foles can get better, and he'll never get to the statistical level of 2013, but can he become a better player than he was in 2014? And so my goal is I'm going to stick with Foles and see what he can become, and I'm going to try to build the team around him into the best team possible, and maybe that combination of an improved Foles and an improved overall team is good enough to get me where I want to go. Yeah, it's such a it's such a difficult question to answer because you don't know what else is available there. Like, is there a stud cornerback that's still sitting there that can really fix a major hole in your secondary? I mean, maybe not necessarily right away, but in in time, if you really, you really believe in the kid, then then maybe you just take the cornerback or, or safety or, or whoever well, else. And we're um, just but, talking in gen- generalities but, 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 here. I'm not going to hold but, you to something, right? But but in generalities, I tend to be very. Um, quarterback oriented in that I said, I said earlier in the show, you either have a quarterback or you don't. And if you don't, you have no chance of being a legit Super Bowl contender. And if you don't think that you have, or if you don't know if you have sort of a top 10 to 12 type quarterback in the NFL, then you should always be looking to upgrade that guy. And if you have a chance to draft a guy like, like Brett Hundley, who has his flaws, like any other quarterback that you're going to be able to get around 20 will. Um, but, you know, certainly he's I mean, I don't I don't know if, uh, if the point of this is to get into, you know, the, the pros and cons of Brett Hundley. But basically, he's a guy that has incredible physical attributes, big arm, uh, can be accurate, size, can run a little bit. But I mean, if, if you can get a guy that you think can 
can play in your offense and can be a quarterback in the NFL, then yeah, I think you take them. I think you take the quarterback and, and people will yell and scream that uh, it's not the biggest you know need on the team. And even if there's a player that's available there that, plays a position that you might also need like a, like I said like a corner or safety it really doesn't matter because if you don't have a if you don't have a quarterback again you don't have a chance so having two if, if Nick Foles turns out to to be the guy and you wound up taking a pick at 20th overall in the first round and and now that guy's riding the pine well I mean that's not the best scenario I guess but it's certainly good that you found your franchise quarterback. So like, I, I think it's kind of a win-win type situation there. So I, I'm always, I'm always, I'll almost always opt to go for the quarterback because by it's not even close how much more important that position is than any other position on the field. Probably the most important position in sports. You got to get it right or you keep looking. It, I, I think I agree with you. I think it's the most important position in all of, uh, all of professional sports. And uh, so, yeah. And, and you know, Hey, listen. History is filled with uh, court teams that that had, that had a couple of quarterbacks and said, "Listen, you two battle it out." You know, Terry Bradshaw was the number one overall pick, and yet had to battle for his job. And at one point, was looking like he might lose it, but he ended up winning it. And I think he won a couple of Super Bowls, if I'm not mistaken. Troy Aikman, people, yeah, forget. Troy, Steve Walsh, yep, <laughs> J- Jimmy I was Johnson, just bring that one up, yep. Jimmy Johnson spent a supplemental draft pick on Steve Walsh, so he had he, he had a he had two first round quarterbacks. Let him battle it out, and then, now he was able to then go and dupe New Orleans into giving him a first round pick for Steve Walsh. So he managed to come out of that looking pretty darn smart. It doesn't always work that well, but no, I, you know, listen, there is a lot of logic to what you say. You know, I, I rarely like to say nice things about you, but uh, <laughs> they're really. The, I agree with you, man. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a quarterback. So you can build this great defense, but it doesn't guarantee anything. And here's kind of the interesting slant to all of this is that Chip Kelly has not really found his guy in the NFL because think about it. He didn't draft Nick Foles. He didn't draft uh, Michael Vick. He, he signed Michael Vick, but to a, you know, what a one year deal. Yeah. And, and only kind of uh, because of uh, the circumstances. Right, and, that, and uh, that he was never—he was never guaranteed a job. He had to fight it out with Nick Foles in training camp. We all remember all that. Right. So the the two quarterbacks that he's really gone about acquiring uh, would be uh, uh, Matt, uh, Mark Sanchez, rather, who he signed to a one year deal as a free agent with the thought that he would be the backup, and then Matt Barkley, who he spent a fourth round pick on. So Chip Kelly has yet to sort of say, "Hey, here's my guy," or "Here's my two guys are going to battle it out, and then that guy will be my guy." He sort of has, you know, been passive with trying to find quarterbacks. And I don't know if he's just been too picky. The choices haven't been there. I don't know what the situation is. But the bottom line is I think he's got to get a little bit more serious about figuring out who his guy is, Uh, whether that is sticking with Foles or going after a guy like Hunley or, hey, listen, man, if he can get Mariota, that's freaking awesome. I just I don't want to build people's hopes up because I just think there's too many teams in front of the Eagles who need a quarterback. And all the draft picks in the world don't do a bit of good if you don't have the right quarterback. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. It really is because this is a huge part of what the Eagles are going to be in 2015. One thing I will note on um, Matt Barkley quickly, I said earlier, I kind of view him as somewhat of an afterthought. And maybe that might not be right because in one of the final interviews of the season that Chip Kelly was doing, he referred to Barkley as Barks. He called it Barks, which – you got, you got a little nickname there. And I remember during training camp, he would call Joe Kruger Krugs. And then once he stopped calling Kruger Krugs, he started calling him Kruger. Krugs was gone. It was like, all right, well, Kruger's, Kruger's done. He's cut because he lost the Krugs. So Barks okay. is still being called Barks. So maybe you know, maybe he'll stick around a little while. Here, here's the <laughs> thing with Barkley. And listen, hey, you may be onto something. We're gonna have to watch what Chip Kelly how he refers to guys. That's right. If he, if he starts calling you Kemp's, you know, then uh, uh, I'm I'm good to go. If he starts calling you James Kemsky the third, then I know you're out of there. He calls uh, me. He he actually has called me Jimmy. And then there's another guy who looks a little bit like me, and he calls him Jimmy too. <laughs> and, and his name is not Jimmy. Nice. <laughs> then I guess you're in good. That's right. The other guy, not so much. Right. 
the thing with Barkley is, you know, he's he's now been here for two years. I think a huge part of Barkley's problem is that he is so used to being the guy that it drives him insane not to be the guy. And it takes a while to learn how to handle that. And if you look at one of the things, and I haven't gone back to, to study every one of his preseason throws, you know, after was, the fact. He was, I'm, I'm he, was okay. his, he was actually okay in the preseason. Some ugly looking lollipop throws, but I think I think too often in a preseason, he's obsessed with trying to make this, these spectacular plays so that he can go, hey, look, look what I did. Give me playing time. And I think when he if he will ever just go out there and just move the chains, do the little things. And that's when if, if you go back to uh, his, the, the Gruden quarterback camp, Gruden was watching a U, uh, USC game with him. And it was fourth and one or fourth and two, and he had to full back open in the flat. And Barkley threw a, a twenty-five yard pass down to the goal line. It was incomplete. Well, they you know they they could have had a if he completes that pass to the fullback, which is a ninety percent chance going to happen. They're moving the chains. They're in the red zone. They've got a chance to get three or seven. Instead, the possession's over because he got greedy. And I think you you still see some of that when you watch him in a preseason. He wants to be spectacular. He wants to be great. And I think sometimes for a young quarterback, you're in the NFL now. Let's not do. Let's just move the chains. Keep getting first downs. The big plays will come. And I think if he'll ever sort of buy into that, and maybe the fact that he was on the field more and more this year because of the Foles injury, that allowed him to practice a lot. Maybe he'll feel less pressure to go stand out next summer. He'll play more relaxed, and that'll bring out the best in him. Now, I'm not making any, you know, kind of insane. Uh, uh, ramblings here that the guy's going to be the answer at quarterback. But I do think that he can play better than he has. And I do think at some point at the least, the guy could be a backup. We'll see though. He's got to play better than what he has the last two years uh, or else he's going to find out that, uh, you know, it's, he's done with the NFL. So what I'm hearing from you is that Matt Barkley is going to be the next Joe Montana. No, he's going to be a lot better than that. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on from quarterback. Um, we talked about quarterback for a while. <laughs> we got to get on to the other positions. But um, I think we're probably both in agreement with the rest of with, you know, any other Eagles fan that, that that's out there that by far the biggest need for the Eagles heading into this offseason is the secondary. Just in general, both cornerback and safety is by far the biggest offseason need. Are we both in agreement on that? Yes. <laughs> OK, Um Actually, a decent number of corners in the draft. I mean, we won't get into the individual names here, but um, you know, when you look at the cornerback and, and safety spots on the Eagles, they have Malcolm Jenkins, who's a good safety, and they have Brandon Boykin, who is a good slot corner, although his future is sort of yet to be determined uh, past 2015. And then you have three, and I'll be kind here, below average starters in Nate Allen, Bradley Fletcher, Carrie Williams, all three of whom may be gone with the team. Actually, do you think any of those guys, first of all, do you think any of them return? And um, how do you fix that many positions in a secondary in one offseason? Here's the thing. When I keep reading the Eagles are going to draft a corner of the first round, I'm like, yeah, you know, hey, listen, I'm with you. It's the number one position of need is the secondary. But Chip Kelly's already said, he doesn't like to look at the draft for immediate help. He's not going to take guys that were drafted and force them into the lineup. So to me, you almost have to fix the secondary through free agency and or pro moves and then draft for depth for the future. And so that's what leads me to think that Bradley Fletcher, I don't see how he returns. No way. Nolan Carroll, I think, returns because at the very well, he least. Signed a, did, did he sign a two-year deal? I'm fairly certain. Yeah, don't, so he'll, he's he's still under contract, right? And and Fletcher is a free agent. I just don't think you bring that guy back. Right. Uh, Carroll can at the very least be a good dime linebacker, which is a role he played this year, and a backup who can play in the slot or outside. And you know, listen, he didn't play great there at the end of the year when he did replace Fletcher. But if the guy's your backup, you know, at a certain point you need backups, and your backup can't be Richard Sherman. So. At the very least, Carroll's a versatile player. There's something to be said for that. Plus, he knows the scheme. If you could get Kerry Williams to take a pay cut, 
No way. I, I have no problem with them keeping Kerry Williams around for one more year. In my personally, I'm tired of Kerry Williams. Uh, I'd I'd like to see him gone. Uh, <laughs> right. But then, I mean, you almost have to go throw a boatload of money at Byron Maxwell and hope that he can come in and be a starting corner for you. And in the other corner, you can maybe find another free agent, or that Carroll or Jalen Watkins or the draft pick. You know, you got to. But to me, you can't go into the draft needing a starting corner because again, Chip Kelly doesn't think like that. So. You almost have to come up with a pair of starting corners before April, and so you got you got to find one good starter in free agency, whether that's Byron Maxwell or somebody else. But you've got to find a good starter through free agency, and that's where if you could convince Kerry Williams, listen, you're not going to do better on the open market. You got to take a pay cut. And if you could the, get. If, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Continue. Say so if you can convince him to take a pay cut. And then you go and you get, uh, say, you go get Byron Maxwell or whoever else is a free agent that you feel strongly about. Then you have Maxwell and that guy. And then if you want to spend the first round pick on a corner, and that guy can replace Kerry Williams next year, then that's fine. But I just don't think, I think people are misguided if they think the Eagles are going to spend a, a corner, uh, draft a corner at 20, and that guy's going to be starting this year. I don't, I'm not saying it's illogical. I'm just saying that's the way Chip Kelly thinks. Yeah, they, um, the, the last time they tried to sign three-fourths of a uh, secondary in uh, it, in one offseason, they wound up with Carrie Williams, Bradley Fletcher, and Patrick Chung. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. They're, they're 0 for 1 on that strategy. But Carrie Williams, you mentioned him in his contract. Just just to be more specific on it, he's his cap number in 2015 is $8.16 million, which is an absolutely absurd number for the kind of player that he is. They they take a uh, one point six six million dollar hit in uh, in dead money if they cut them. So basically, the savings that that they have if they cut them is six point five million, which is an absolute no brainer. You absolutely cut them if he does not take a pay cut. And I mean, if I know Carrie Williams, like I think I know Carrie Williams, that guy ain't taking a pay cut. So there well, there may I, I, I hear you, but here's the thing. It's not like he's going to go out and get eight million dollars from somebody else. I understand that, but and and you know what? If he if he get him to take a pay cut, how happy is that dude going to be for the for the rest of the season? I don't, hey, listen, and how much of a distraction is he going to be? And, and that's why I'm telling you, if I if if they could work it out where he's gone, I'm all for it. I'm not a Kerry Williams fan, not whatsoever. The the guy's the best corner we've had in the last couple of years, but <laughs> I, which which is sad. Yeah, well, he's not a bad corner. He's just he. The whole point is that you need one corner who's your best corner. He's not number one corner material. No. If that guy's your number two corner, hey, listen, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, I, trust I'm, me. I'm, I'm kind of with you there. We've, hey, listen, Patrick Peterson is the best corner for Arizona, and look how often that guy got torched this year. Yeah. So you know, not everybody can be freaking Richard Sherman or Darrell Revis. Uh, but that said, yeah, you got you, you need to do better, and the knucklehead decisions he makes. And the questionable tackling, uh, and I'm just I'm tired of Kerry Williams, but I'm also realistic. Corners, you can't just go down to the grocery store and throw a couple in the, in the cart and go up and pay for them. You, you know, they have to come from somewhere, and every team is looking for corner help. So you can't count on the Eagles. You can't just choose two names in free agency say pencil those guys in because you're going to be negotiating with 15 or 20 other teams for those guys. Yeah, yeah. So and, you know that's where um, I'd, I'd love to get rid of. I started making some free agent lists, and you know, if we could get Byron Maxwell, that's that's uh, my guy too. I think that's such a clear, easy call to make. That right. that that guy is the exact thing that they look for in corners. He's big, he's physical, he tackles, and blah 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 blah. He's you know, he, I think that's the guy, and he he just stands out clearly when you do look at the list of free agents. And he's not a guy that's going to get franchise tagged or anything like that. And he's probably going to be eager to go out in the free agent market and see what he can get. But like you said earlier. Um, you're gonna probably have to throw a lot of money at him. Absolutely, and and if the you know if the other guy you get is a one year veteran rental, I don't know, is Rashawn Mathis from Detroit? He's old. Somebody, but the whole point is, I'm saying a one year <laughs> rental, right? So I, that okay, you, gotcha, so, that, yeah, yeah. so that you draft a corner. In other words, you've got to have two starting corners next year. Who are your starting corners going to be, Jimmy? Yeah. Who are they going to be? It's not pretty. You can't count on Jalen Watkins. And at the same time, you watch, you know, Dallas uh, found Sterling Moore on the street. He's not a particularly good player, but 
he was he was effective in their system. Right. You know, Kyle, Kyle Arrington has been effective for New England. The Eagles just need to get guys that can be effective doing what they want to do. And, you know, so they need somebody who can be a number one corner. And then the other part of this is get a better safety so that that safety can help the corner be effective by maybe making some plays so that corner doesn't have the question of, if I get beat on this play, am I on my own? He's going to know he's got some help over the top. And that's where Nate Allen, I think, had a negative impact on these corners because they're sitting there thinking, if if I get beat, well, then this guy, you know, nobody's coming over to help me. So I think I think you need to improve the pass rush a little bit. I think you need to improve safety, and I think you change corner. And that's you're, you're not going to get better corner play just through plugging in new guys. I mean, you you can, but you're not going to solve the problem entirely by just plugging in new guys unless you can find two really good corners. And I just don't think that's likely. So. I think you have to look at this from a multi-dimensional kind of solution. Okay, so beyond the secondary, I think probably the next two obvious needs, and we'll and we'll wrap it up after we just cover after we cover this here because uh, we're up against it. But the I think the next two obvious needs would be either youth slash depth along the offensive line or inside linebacker. Which of those two do you th- – and would you, first of all, would you agree that those are sort of the next two in line? And and secondly, if so, which one do you think is probably the bigger need? I think inside linebacker is more of a need just because uh, – I'm assuming D'Amico Ryans is a back. If he's coming back, then that's less of a need and more of a let's get better, let's improve there. We obviously need depth on the offensive line because those guys are just getting old and you've right. got to Peter, get some Peter's fresh bodies. Hermit. Peters, Harrimans, and Mathis are all up there. And you'd like to get some guys in there to learn for a year before you have to force them into action. If not, you can, you're can you playing with fire. So I definitely think the Eagles need to get some, uh, some guard and tackle help for the future. Yeah, and yeah, you're absolutely, I mean, we saw how devastated the offensive line was with injuries this year where they lost Mathis for a stretch of games. They lost Kelsey for a stretch of games. Uh, they lost Harriman's at the end of the season for a stretch of games, and they lost Lane Johnson at the beginning of the year to the suspension, and then they lost their primary backup in the first game of the season in Alan Barbary. And oh, beyond yes, Barbary, I think their depth was kind of exposed a little bit. So even just beyond the you know bringing in youth and and having guys sort of ready to take over, if and when Jason Peters is no longer an elite player anymore, or Harriman's, um, I think Harriman's is, is really the guy that's probably the first that's going to go because he's been in the league so long and has had more of a traditional, um, he's more of a traditional older type of offensive lineman in that he's played his entire career. Whereas Mathis might last a little bit longer because his, you know, quote unquote mileage is a little bit lower because he didn't play a lot early in his career. And then of course, Jason Peters is an athletic freak of nature that, you know, maybe that's a guy that, that can play into his mid thirties uh, more so than the typical uh, offensive tackle can. Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly they, if they wait too long to bring in youth to fill in behind that offensive line, then what they turn into is the, uh, the sort of a version of what the Dallas Cowboys were for about half a decade when their offensive line all got old simultaneously. And it took them about five years to, and eventually they did build it up. Their offensive line is very good now, but it took them a long time for them to build that up and, that was really the main reason. I mean, they had great players. They had like star players littered throughout the roster, but never could do anything because their offensive line was so horrid. You know, one quick point on the Eagles offensive line that I do think we have to be fair about is that the backups this year, so many were forced into the lineup and, and often at the same time that I think it was hard to get a good read on some of these guys. Yeah, especially in that 49er game where they had four different players playing positions that they normally wouldn't play. So you had Harriman's kicking out to right tackle, and then all three of their interior offensive linemen were all reserves. And and the whole point of this is, in a normal situation, you lose a lineman and you plug a backup in there, and the line gels over time, they get better, and you get a feel for what the backup can do. Well, the Eagles you know, constantly were shuffling players in until – Late in the season when I think they started the same group like five games in a row. Uh, but you know, so while we say that their lack of depth got exposed, at the same time, no team can sustain the amount of injuries the Eagles had Fair and point. get good offensive line, uh, yep. offensive line play. Fair point. Uh, quick question for you. Do you think Harriman's is back or do you think he could possibly be cut? 
and maybe the Eagles go and a, a dr- go after a guard in free agency. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you have to cut them before free agency happens because if you're another offensive lineman out there and Harriman's is still around, you're not signing with the Eagles. Well, no, yeah, they, yeah, they would cut him. That's what, but what I'm saying oh, is, you, do you think well, that could happen with the thought of, hey, here's one way to get the offensive line younger now is let's cut Harriman's. Well, what happens? What happens if you cut him and you don't get your guy? Well, you would get a guy. You would obviously have several targeted, not just one. Okay. I'm not saying they. I'm not saying they have to go get the top guard, but I'm just saying they can look at him and say, "Listen, he's been a declining player. He actually played fairly well this year when he was healthy. When he was at right guard last year, he was all over the place. Yeah, and you can sit there and say, you know what? He's probably not going to get any better than this year. He's coming off an injury. This is getting ready to be his 11th year in the league, I think. And well, he he was in the same draft class as Cole, was, so that was no, 2005. So it's going to be his 11th year in the league. And uh, so, you know, at a certain point, maybe you do cut the I mean, I love the guy, but let's just be realistic. He can't play forever. Well, so his, maybe, ca- his cap number isn't – I mean, okay, so his cap number – I'm just looking at it here. It's $5.2 million, which they actually take a hit of 2.4 if they cut him. And they they save $2.8 million if they cut him. They save 2.8. So is it worth saving 2.8 to cut him? I mean, I guess you have to – factor in is the injury that he sustained sort of a long-term type thing or is he going to you know recover from that fully and have it not affect him at all in 2015 i don't think i don't don't think you can cut him part of my thinking was also what you've always talked about which is how dallas let all the guys get old at the same time oh okay gotcha yeah the eagles the eagles have two young guys they got kelsey in the middle and they got lane johnson at right tackle so if you if you replace the right guard then also you got three-fifths of your line it's 26 or younger, something like that. Okay. And then you got Peters, who's the freak, and then you got an older guy in Evan Mathis. So you can replace right. Mathis in next year or the next year. If that's a, it's more of a gradual replacement than right, right. all these guys. That's all I'm saying. I'm not gotcha. trying to say Todd Aaron's a bad player. I've got to get rid of him. Yep. I'm trying to trying to take a, a, a big picture uh, look at this thing. Yeah, I guess I guess my point that I was trying to make is you have to – okay, so if you are going to cut him, you have to cut him before free agency. Right. Um, or you know you're just not going to get somebody to sign with, with and, with people, and, and so. there 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 is risk involved and, there, and, there's, and there's risk there for sure absolutely absolutely there but listen when you you have to take some chances I mean you know you, so so I, I see your logic in that in that I I, I mean not necessarily uh, like you, you wouldn't cut them just to save two point eight million but I do no, I, is, I do, I do see the logic and not and like and not having to replace three offensive linemen all at the same time. This is not about cap savings. Nothing to do with money. Right. It has to do with the fact that he's an older guy who's on the decline. And again, that's we, we don't know how well he'll play in 2015. He might be fine, but at some point you're going to have to replace him because he is headed, you know, a little down. And you just have to sit there and say, is this year the year to do it, or do we wait a year? And maybe they do wait a year, but maybe there's a guard they're looking at and they're saying, hey, let's let's spend some money, let's get that guard, and we'll have some youth on the offensive line. We can still spend a draft pick to get another player in there so that, God forbid, we do have some injuries. We maybe can sustain it a little bit better. You know, I took a look at the um, at the guard free agents um, actually this morning, and almost all the guys at, at sort of the, the top of the list, and I don't know how much it really matters, the difference between left guard and right guard, but they're almost all of them played left guard. So, um, you know, the top guy at the list would be Mike Yapati of the uh, Niners, who looks like he's going to be um, a free agent. He's going to make it through. They're not going to tag him or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I don't, it's, what, what is your take on that, like the difference between left guard and right guard? It, there is a difference. And, uh, I mean, we saw Harriman's when he moved from, from left guard to right guard, you know, he actually spent some time at right tackle in between. But you saw he talks about how it took him a while to get used to playing on the right side last year. Yeah. And yeah. that's one of the reasons he started so slowly last year. It was having to adjust. So it's not – you can't just move a guy from left guard to right guard and say there's no potential problems. There can be problems. That said, it's it's something that can be fixed. And it, it's not going to affect everybody the same. So, you know, and, and I don't think the Eagles are, need to go just sign Mikey Potty or go get some star guard, nothing like that. But uh, right. it's just – you never know if Chip Kelly's going to see an athletic guy who's a little bit younger and say, you know what, let's let's go get that guy. And, you know, listen, we love Todd. We love what he did. But, you know, all, all these players, much as we love them, at some point they have to go the way of the old yeller. They have to. 
And you, you know, let, let's let's before we before we wrap it up, let's bring up one more position that I think is interesting. Um, and they're they're well, I mean, there's outside linebacker where they they could add players, and obviously they have situation with Trent Cole. Um, you know, getting on. There's no way they're paying him what 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 he's set to make in 2015. So he's going to take a pay cut or he'll be gone. Brandon Graham's a free agent, so that's an interesting position to look at. And then you have wide receiver. Riley Cooper not having a good season, you know. Eventually, they're, they're, I would they can't cut him this year because it'll cost them more to cut him than to keep him. But that may be a position that that they could address. So there's there's you know something that we could talk about there as well. But the one position that I think is really interesting is running back, and the reason being is there are just so many running backs in this draft that are really appealing. Just the draft is it's good. Draft, this draft this year with with running back is kind of like last year with wide receiver with just how stacked it is. Um, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you, if, if the, if just a, a premier talent running back is sitting there, even if it's in the first round, do you, do you kind of go that route and be prepared for life after shady in 2016? It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me at all because, uh, I gotta tell you, as I've been watching the playoffs and watching the championship games, you can't help but watch what's on the field in these big situations and compared to what the Eagles have. And it looks to me, I don't know if you would agree with this, it looks to me like a lot of the backs that, that went pretty far in the playoffs are pretty physical downhill runners, which Shady is not. And you just wonder, is that something that lends itself more to success in the postseason or guys that can run through contact? And, I mean, obviously Marshawn Lynch is an extreme example but even you know some of the guys in the other games. Just look at C.J. Anderson and the way he caught that. That he had a couple of plays where he should have been stopped and he was able to power through contact yeah. to move the chains for Denver. It didn't end up helping him, but still, uh, you know, Boom Heron for the uh, the Colts did some nice things. Obviously, Eddie, 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 Eddie Lacy, Lacy uh, Hammer just pounded. I mean, Demarco Murray did some really good things for Dallas in that yep. game. Marshawn Lynch. Uh, well, yeah, he's the listen. He's the poster child for this. So, uh, you just question maybe in the playoffs, maybe you do need a more physical runner, and it's essentially it would be a more talented version of Chris Polk, and a, a more obviously a more durable version too. So, yeah, you know what? It, I think there. I think every position on the Eagles is open for discussion. I really do. Center, so, to, tight end. To me, if they don't get a center with less facial hair, they're they've got issues. <laughs> okay. No, tight tight end is one that I'm fine with the current group of tight ends. But if there was the right tight end, who maybe would be more of a red zone threat because he's a freak of some sort, you never right. say never. Right. Center center obviously if you're drafting if you draft a center, he better be able to play guard and tackle as well. Right. He's not going to play scales. Yeah. But no. Yeah. Running back to me is very much on the table. I l- love watching Shady. Love the highlights. Love the exciting runs. But the bottom line is, we haven't won a playoff game with him on the roster, have we? They haven't won a playoff game since he's been in the league, well, obviously. But yeah, since what two thousand eight now? <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to say it's all, all his right. fault. I, I, all right, of course, of course. Let's let's not misunderstand that. But the bottom line is, again, watch these playoff games. It's cold. It's nasty. It's tough. Guys that make contact and run through contact are having success. Elusive guys, not as much. And so, you know, that's just something to consider. And I think you have to consider it. Absolutely. And let's wrap it up here. Tommy and I, again, like I mentioned, will be at the uh, Senior Bowl next week. And um, we'll get a close-up look at, you know, a lot of the, a lot of college players that could be of interest to the Eagles. The Eagles, of course, last year drafted um, four player. The first four picks were players that, that competed at the Senior Bowl in, in Marcus Smith, Jordan Matthews. Josh Hoff and Jalen Watkins were all there. So, and traditionally, the Eagles have drafted a lot of guys from uh, that, that that played at the Senior Bowl. Chip Kelly, of course, likes players that that draft that that I'm sorry graduated from 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 college, and he likes it, it, it would appear anyway from the first two drafts that they like guys from big schools. And I think you know, for the, the majority of the players that compete at the Senior Bowl are from big schools. They do have some some small school guys mixed in there. So it's definitely a week where there's a lot of players there that. Um, you know, could be of, of significant interest to the Eagles. We'll probably talk more specifically about, you know, players that, that could make sense to the Eagles uh, next week. But uh, unless you have anything else to add, Tommy? 
Now, you know, unfortunately, I doubt we'll be able to do a show from Mobile because we're going to be super busy down there with watching games, writing, and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if we're going to be able to do a show next week, but we'll get you a show uh, certainly after that. We'll share our Senior Bowl thoughts. Uh, Fans have been talking to me and saying, hey, listen, if you can find a way to throw a corner or safety in your luggage and bring him home, do it. So I'm certainly going to try to smuggle one out of Mobile. (laughs) All right. Well, he's Tommy. He's at Lawler NFL. I am Jimmy Kemsky. At Jimmy Kemsky, Tommy's from IgleSplits.com, from PhillyVoice.com. And, uh, yeah, have a good day or night, depending on when you're watching this. See ya. You've been listening to the Eagles Pod right here on LibertyBroadcast.com.